The Becoming Unsilenced podcast is about awakening to the greatest potential you always were. Listen to teachings, interviews, and inspiring stories of others who have challenged the accepted, expanded possibility and merged modern day life with ancient wisdom to discover their greatest potential. When you fear less, you become limitless. Now be inspired by today's episode. I'm here today with Kathy Whittem from Parenting Beyond Words, and Kathy is here to share her journey of reclaiming her voice. So Kathy, I'd love, because I know you've done a number of different things with working with parents, and now you're working with coaches, so please tell us a little bit about you before we dive into the conversation. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vicki, for the opportunity to to be here today. Um, Really love being with you. Um, So as far as my work, I got into my work in a nutshell because of how long I struggled with my own child (laughs) in a morass of confusion and overwhelm. (laughs) And um, it took until my kids, I have three, um, but I had more a particular kind of power struggle with one of them. And I took until um, my kids were pretty grown, the youngest being in high school, the oldest being out of the house already, until I learned a really key concept based in brain science that behavior is communication. And that really changed everything for me and began um, the turning point in my relationships with not only that child, but with all my kids. Um, because I was able to, um, f- to see that the behavior was one thing that was overwhelming, but behind that behavior was a scared, overwhelmed child. And when I could finally connect to that with my heart, that child, it changed the way I saw everything and it changed the way I did everything. So I could now take some very positive steps and actions to change a dynamic at home. And it's because, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was profound and it was like 180 degrees and it has allowed the relationships to continue to grow over the past um, 11 years since that happened. Mm. So you've been on an 11 year journey of embracing some really significant changes. What's that been like? Well, initially it was the, 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 uh, the transformation in the relationships, which believe me was not overnight, but the difference was I understood what was happening in a new way. So I knew what to do to rebuild the relationship, which had suffered greatly. And I knew that I had the power to do it. And that was the key difference. And so over the past 10 years, in terms of my work with parents and caregivers, that has grown into a philosophy that I call parent-centric, um, which means that my work is to empower parents and caregivers to be the agents of change because the power lies in their hands. 
So it's like an empowering of them to understand what their children are saying to them so they can literally meet their needs instead of fight with their behavior. Um, yeah. I think that's so, wow, so powerful because I see so many struggles and not just parent-child, but even in adult relationships where it is just this power struggle with each other and, and people aren't really seeing or hearing who the other person is in the situation or looking, you know, behind what's causing that behavior. I always say hurt people hurt people and healing people heal people. But I hear that's a little bit of what you're talking about. Very much. Um, hurt, hurting children act out. Um, hurting children hurt others. They can be aggressive. They can be, um, mean and hurtful and um so i think it's so i think it's completely relevant to all relationships um just because i'm focusing i have focused uh, mostly my my uh, practice on parents and children that relationship the work very quickly when i work with a parent or a pair or a pair of parents or whatever, um, a group of parents, um, the work very quickly, they realize that the work is about them. Um, and that's, that's really powerful because often we feel victim to our circumstances. We feel victim even to our children and also when we're on peer relationships or partners or marriages, we can feel victim. Um, and the empowerment, well, that comes from not referencing off the child, not referencing off the partner, but doing the work you need to, to come into a self-referenced point of view a self-resourced point of view, which is very tied to boundaries, like kind of like your own bubble. This is something many of us did not acquire or learn as children. These aren't skills we were taught, were they? They're not. Absolutely. You know, I think about boundaries and I was probably like in my late thirties before I even knew what that word meant. So I hear you and you were, I think, ahead of me. So like the simplicity of, uh, the simplest definition I've heard of boundaries is um, what's okay and what's not okay. Ah. That's Brene, that's Brene Brown. But also I've heard another one, which is like, I don't like this. I like this. I don't want this. I want this. And that involves a pretty big connection to your own self that's to even was, know what you want sorry yes that's what I was gonna say Kathy it involves starting with you and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you today because as we were preparing for the for this conversation you said I've been on a journey to reclaim my own voice and because the this podcast is called Becoming Unsilenced, it's all about reclaiming your voice. So I want to know what started you on this journey to reclaim your voice? 
It's such an interesting question because I know I've been very much on the journey. It's been like very important to me. And I think it's been a, a combination of factors. I think it's one of the ways it started was when I started um, realizing what I needed to change in the dynamic with my kiddo. I also learned a lot about myself. And one of the things I learned was that um, a depressed parent can be experienced by a child as neglect. And that that can lead to a kind of, I, I call it a quiet trauma. It's definitely a relationship trauma in a way that impacts your own ability for attachment and the things that lead to resilience and self-regulation skills. So I came up from um, a home where I had parents that loved me for sure. I was an only child, which has its own amount of weight that you bear of your parents' dynamic. Right. But, um, a huge amount. But there was this discrepancy between, but my parents loved me and I didn't suffer. But at the same time, I had a, a very chaotic and depressed environment. So I was swimming in this soup of things never being talked about, of unhappiness, of um, triangulation, where my dad was not work, not a good fit. My parents weren't a good fit for each other. So I kind of became the confidant for my mom. So that can triangulate your ability to be in the right place with both your mom and dad, because that that's between them, but yet you get entangled in it. So no boundaries emotionally. And when you're a little kid, you think everything's you. So I, I thought the, all those feelings were me with no boundaries emotionally with my mom, for instance, like, so, and she didn't, she had no resources. She didn't know better. And she was doing the best she could. She was doing the best she could. And there were consequences. Yeah. And the consequences were on my relationship with myself, my voice, my ability to love myself and my relationships. Um, so the consequences there, even though she was doing her best, that's where our healing has to come in. So finding my voice, the journey I think came through breaking out of a second marriage um, my kids were all from my first marriage and then I had a second marriage and we had very poor communication. I actually believe I did not see him clearly for who he was and just fell in love with the idea of him and that this has been a theme, like I see such potential, I can change a person and I'm not seeing it clearly and I'm not making him out to be a bad guy, but he did not have the communication skills that I personally required to interact with someone. And so 
that factor disallowed us getting help in the relationship from a third party because I, um, well, well, I could not make that happen basically to get therapy. When, or when you say you couldn't make that happen, Kathy, was that what what did, did that look like? Were you trying to make it happen and he wasn't willing to do that or you just weren't in a place to do it? No, more like the, I would bring it up or I would say, I'm really having a hard time. I feel like it would really help to have a third party in here to help us communicate better. So I was attempting to encourage us to get therapy and even encourage him to be in charge of looking for someone. And, but he wasn't, um, that wasn't his agenda. It was mine. Yeah. Did he and see there was an issue that needed to be solved? Did say that again? I missed that. Oh, did he see there was an issue with the relationship that needed to be solved? I'm not sure. Um, I think I think that it was more on the level, the things I heard him say were like, I'm just going to try harder next year to be like at New Year's. What's your intention for the year? Try harder not to get angry with you. Well, that's all well and good, but that does not create change. Mm. Um, it's lovely in a way to hear for one second, but um, we don't change habits and dynamics by wishing them away. There's some real work that needs to be done internally. And um, so I felt like it was like a brick wall, no matter where I turned to try to get like, quote, help. Cause I was like, I was unable to use communication skills in a way that could get anywhere in my feeling. And I also, I felt victim in a way, like I felt like I spent a lot of time and effort. So there's that over efforting, the over, um, over functioning to try to make things better. But my definition of better wasn't the same as his, like there was a lot of core differences because of going in with these kind of blinders on not to blame myself for it, but we all have that from our history until we start to like, it took me 60 years to do it differently. I finally am in a relationship where it's different. It's different because it's very real and pretty messy, but not in the same way, not in the way of constantly feeling pushed pushing myself down again or silencing myself or trying harder, but in the way of like actually going through, you know, breakdowns and breakthroughs and repair. <laughs> like that it has a trajectory where it has repair as part of the equation. And, but it took a long time. <laughs> and so, so finding my voice was just, partly in that relationship, realizing there were some other challenges um, that had to do with addictive type behaviors. Um, and that I finally saw that that's what they were and that I had no control over them. Yeah. Like I had been trying to, 
oh, well, can we talk about it? Da, 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 you know, whatever, all the things. But um, very I, one day I just realized I had no control and I was done with trying to change or fix anything. Yeah. I went to Al-Anon. <laughs> wow. You went to Al-Anon. So I was going to ask, what was the switch that flipped where you said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And you started to take action, different action in a new direction. I think the switch was um, facing, facing reality. And also, um, so not like kidding myself anymore, or sort of seeing through a seeing things through a certain lens where this is a theme that's come up. So I'll bring this up. When people say words to each other, they don't mean the same thing to each other. Um, I deal with this a lot in my current relationship and it's like a big thing I'm working on with communication and something I hope we'll talk about a little bit before our time ends as far as communication. Yes. But in the case of this, the question you ask is when someone says I'm working on it and my interpretation is based on my own well, that would mean for me years of working on something in 20 different modalities and therapy. Right. You're, di you're digging in with everything you've got to work on it. And for someone else saying, oh, it's not as much of a problem as it was, means I'm hesitant because I don't want to um, uh, hurt confidentiality. So I'm going to use alcohol because that's a common theme. Yep. It wasn't alcohol in this case. It was another addictive behavior. But it would be like him saying, oh, I've cut down a lot after I thought there was a bigger problem. And then realizing because of observation of like being there, I was going back and forth. So I was there for a month at a time and then back where my parents had died at their house for a month. So it was a little mix up, but imagine it's like being there where your, your partner says, I, I, I've really cut down a lot. And what you watch them having is a six pack a night. And you have to go, wow, what was it before? And you also have to go, oh, I'm noticing this, which, you know, I'm noticing that this you said you had cut down, but I'm noticing you're drinking a six pack a night. And then they go, well, what was I supposed to do? Um, my niece died last month, last year. And then there's just this complete rift in any ability to communicate that this is not, this is a great, it's a coping mechanism. I I'll give the person that because yeah. we all have them. But is it a coping mechanism that is the right fit to build a relationship? And the answer is no. And I had no more power in that. I realized it was very stark. It was like, oh, I'm just going to stop now. And then I found that Al-Anon was really the right place for me, even though it wasn't alcohol in that case. There probably was some in my own history and subtly, but yeah. Yeah. And I find that the behaviors that go around addiction, it doesn't matter whether the addiction is overeating or overspending or alcohol or any of the other many things that could be, there's so many behaviors that go 
um, around that. So you came to this point where you realized that you could not control the other person's behavior and you were going to get back in the driver's seat of your own life of reclaiming your voice. So if you could walk us through like some of the two or three of the significant transformations that happened for you in the years ahead, as you reclaimed that voice, what did that look like? Well, okay, let's see. Um, it looked like being drawn very much to, um, to guides that resonated very emotionally for me, like Brene Brown, okay. who talks a lot about shame and about um, hearing your own voice. And it resonated so much that it's just, I felt compelled in that area to, to reclaim my voice and do everything I could. Like, it was like, I will have a voice here. Cause I feel like I didn't have a voice as a child and that I stayed silent. And, um, and again, not in the face of any overt abuse, which makes it kind of confusing because you're like well I should be fine how come I have so much trouble with relationships and my own stability but um so there was um a big stint with Brene Brown of learning oh here's the physiology here's this um that shows up when you're when shame shows up and then speaking up um then there was a lot of work on trauma I studied trauma a lot um, because of my work with parents. I, I was super compelled toward understanding trauma in attachment, especially developmental trauma and how it impacts, um, how it impacts stability and our ability to uh, like kind of stay in some kind of a balance where things can trick for me, things would trigger me and I'd go way up off the deep end, you know, and like, and back to the marriage too. One of the things is that I needed, vowed to stop doing was to get triggered to a state of like curled up in a ball fetal and hoping that would make the person notice I was hurting, you know? Yeah. But I wasn't deliberately doing. I was triggered to a very high state of arousal and out of proportion. And it's this kind of pattern of being triggered that happens with, with understanding kids' behavior, that they're reacting from a state of physiology, that they're triggered, but it looks like this hurtful behavior. And it is hurtful behavior. I mean, on the surface, I'm not saying right. it's not, and that you should right. build skills to deal with that. You should, but without the empathy and the validation that there is room for you and your big feelings, you have to just kind of put them down because they're too scary. So this opening of like, oh, I have big feelings. Oh, uh, it's just sort of finding that validation with myself that there is room for me like uh, with the Brene I'll say I, I I wrote this little artsy thing 
um, because she said, I will hear myself above the noise. I will hear myself above the opinions of others. You know, that constant like deferring, deferring, deferring. Um, eggshells, eggshells, eggshells. Um, I will hear me. I will listen and I will hear me. And it was because this spoke to me so loudly that I knew my work was here. Like, you don't, you're not drawn to something that doesn't resonate, right? So it was almost like the answer is indirectly what I was drawn to tells me that this was my journey to find my voice. Um, yeah. Well, I love that because what we are drawn to, I think when we have dismissed ourselves so many times and when others have dismissed us, we can not listen to the desires of our hearts and the things that we're drawn to. So I love that you honored that you were drawn to this. And the other piece that I heard in there was the current circumstances that were happening had some roots that you had to deal with in childhood. Yes. Wow. So what's the what's the fun side of the story when, because when we get through all of that work, there Mm -hmm. has to be, or there has to be some motivation for why we get there. And so how's life today? So the, the, that's such a great question, Vicki. And the answers are a little counterintuitive that are coming to mind, but some of the fun sides of the story are that, um, well, I'm currently in a partnership where I am able to work on, uh, when we get triggered, we can get past it. It can be rocky, but um, the fun side in a way is that, in a big way, is that we can keep showing up. Like it's an upward trajectory overall of growth rather than just a circle. And that's fun because this is a level of intimacy that I've never experienced before. And it's very unfamiliar. And it's not like, oh my God, oh my God, I love you so much. (laughs) Like I've been in love twice and married both those people who I didn't really know. Yeah. Right. So I can't say I'm in love the same way at all. But I can say this is so much more human and stable and it goes up and it goes down, but overall it goes up and we laugh. I I never laughed so much with someone. I never um, was able to have a boundary. Again, this is like there's gaps in the work I've done, of course, but I'm jumping to now where I can not always, but sometimes be able to be like, okay, he just needs to be in this for a while. I'm just gonna go over here and do this other thing. (laughs) Like this understanding that I have my own bubble. It isn't meshed with his bubble. Like, nor is it disconnecting to be in my own bubble. I don't have to go away and curl up in a corner to be safe. Although sometimes I feel unsafe and I do have to go practice self-care, which means sometimes I have to just take a break 
from this situation where he might be too triggered and he might be triggering too much in me. And we are, we are practicing learning how to take a break then or turn it down a little or put it on pause. It's not always perfect, believe me, but it's so much better to be seen and heard and really know that you are who you are with someone in all the aspects of you and that they're acceptable. That is so beautiful, Kathy. And what comes to mind as you're talking about that is solid foundation, which is where we were going to get to today about our life, our relationships are built on this solid foundation. And in my work, I, I teach that there's, I use my Eiffel Tower as example. And the Eiffel Tower has four really strong foundational pillars. One of those, I'm, I'm going to list them and then I want to reflect how you have the journey that you've come with these four areas and how you weave them into your life and your work today. So one is extreme self-care. We have to take care of ourselves first and put the oxygen mask on us first before we can feel like we're going to be of service to others. Boundaries that create freedom. I heard you say boundaries numerous times in this conversation. And then what I call conflict-free communication. Now, conflict-free communication, I don't think that means that there's never um, feelings or emotions or tenseness in it, but it means we're working to the solution, not getting stuck. And then unhooking from unhealthy overhelping. Yeah. I mean, those are really strong pillars. Yeah. Um, that self-care, you, you said on your web, webpage, self-care isn't selfish. I actually, a few years ago, made a CD called that for, my, for the parents. We are really conditioned especially as women or in a very specific way as women to put ourselves last behind everyone else um at least in this culture and um so you know when the kids are finally in bed i'll have some time for me except by then you are completely fried and exhausted and all you can do is you know dive into your bed. And that's not really time for you. Um, so self-care, I say it like, I love the oxygen mask thing. And I also love, in terms of parenting, your child doesn't want you running on empty. Like when you're running on empty, what that tends to do is make you lean on your kids. Yeah. Like they're the ones who are kind of feel responsible. It's a lot of this is unconscious dynamic, but literally you looking to them to fill your needs. When what's more helpful for your kids is to have your own resource, your own anchor. Um, one of the things I do is systemic family constellations. So the way they say it is you're leaning back, you're leaning on your resources from behind, from your own, yes, we have problems from our history, absolutely. But we also have resources that brought us here. So to find the resources or the people in our lives that can flank us with resource, that is better for your child. 
because then they can turn forward. Then they can be like free to move into their life instead of like, I need to take care of mom, which is where I was as a child. I was like, um, again, this it's all very referenced from my own experience, but the freedom, I felt very much like I um, was what gave my mom meaning. Like I was my mom's life, you know? So I had to be fine all the time for her to be okay. And yes, it's a child's mind interpretation, but literally that's all we have as children. And then it creates what we bring forward in our body as how it feels when our partner does something that feels like what happened when we were younger, but we're not thinking of all that. All we're doing is thinking of like, I can't believe you said that, you know, or so, yeah. As that, children, um, we have no filter. We have no measuring stick to know that there's anything else in that zero to seven or those formative years where anything that dumps in, it, it becomes our roadmap for future operations. Absolutely. And not only do we not have a filter, human babies can't survive without adults. We're not baby sea turtles, you know? And so we are actually literally wired into, the, into survival to be based on the relationship that we are, that we are um, arrive into. And the problem comes is that any relationship we arrive into becomes our survival but also installs the software for future resilience and relationships, which is where it can get pretty, you know, distorted and impacted because yeah. we literally cannot survive without these adults. So we will do anything that we need to. So we learn all these pretzeling techniques and this way to silence and like, I have to be fine, so don't get angry. and. I have to say one of the fun things now is that I've actually gotten angry at this person more than once, you know, and that's like new too. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. You know, um, and I, I'm very scared of anger. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. And I chose into relationships that reinforce those feelings, you know, and I do want to say that I do want to point out to your audience that for me, the relationship aspect has been one that has always been a, a important, not just important, it's important to many people, but like a desire to have a really healthy relationship has been part of my journey. And I want to say that it doesn't have to have a relationship involved to come to this voice and come to this stability. As a matter of fact, even though I'm in a relationship, I'm also the most solid I've ever been in myself. And so I just want your audience to know that I'm not saying the whole goal is to have a good relationship. It is, but that relationship starts with yourself. And that might allow you to have, if you desire a partnership, a healthier partnership. And it might well, allow you to have a good relationship with your kid. Yes, and, it, and actually, I believe that if you don't have that good relationship with yourself first, you're going to be seeking things in other people, whether it's a partner or a, a friend or 
you know, somewhere else you're seeking that something. So it's when you become whole yourself, or when you become healed, then you're no longer looking for people to kind of salve those wounds anymore. And you can come together as two human beings here. I don't like the analogy where so much in our society, we hear, I found my other half or I'm doing this because we're not a piece that fits anyone else. We, we are two whole people that come together in any relationship. Now we might have our wounds within that whole person, but we're not a half a person walking around seeking our other half of a person. Absolutely. I, I love that because we do have these. Well, so yeah, you just said a mouthful <laughs> about the, the wounds. As I'll just say, okay. So the other day, a couple of days ago, I literally said these words to my boyfriend, which were like, this is just so unfamiliar. I said, but it's, I've spent my life having, looking for people to fill the hole. And in our relationship, I'm not looking to have a hole filled anymore. But I kind of don't know what this is now. It's new, it's unfamiliar, but it's two people meeting on a level playing field. And I think, again, bringing a constant, famous constellation lens to it, when we're looking to fill a hole with another person, which is, we all do, <laughs> it's very human, but we can't see the other person. We look at them to fill this hole, but that hole comes from someplace else behind us. And that person is actually can never fill that. Wow, that's such wise words, Kathy. That is so, you're so right. Yeah, thank wow. you. I have, so, a very, I have a very wise teacher also in <laughs> constellation work, but it's made a big difference to me, that whole level playing field thing, because some of the parents I've coached are in unlevel relationships where they feel like the parent of their partner. So yeah. instead of having two kids, they have three. That is not a level playing field. That's, and that's how I felt. <laughs> right. And you can't also fix that from one side, but you can change your stance in relation to it so that you acknowledge, at least for the sake of the kids within yourself, you can stand in a better place. But that doesn't mean that the relationship is a good fit or can work for you. It, that takes two. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it has to have someone who has that same perspective and value and commitment to working forward. Right, right, right. So, but so yeah. Kathy, our time has just flown by already. And I feel like there's so many subjects that fun. <laughs> I know we didn't talk on really dive into your work with, with parents and kids. We didn't really get to explore yet your work with coaches and helping them work with their clients through trauma and this family constellation piece work I find so interesting. So if you're open to it, I, we might continue this conversation in another episode down the road. I would love that. That would be fantastic. And awesome. to be honest, Vicki, all of this is my work with parents and with myself and with um, helping, um, 
helping well like I didn't mention this but like helping coaches and holistic practitioners become more trauma-informed so they can enhance their practice when they're faced with a client with like roadblocks or so they can see what might be behind it they can approach it differently and have a more healing effect right um so relational healing is a big thing in all areas and it doesn't have to be with just a partner it can be with a coach it can be with a therapist it can be with a with a group of friends who are really on your side not just on your side with loyalty like yeah that guy is a jerk you should get rid of him or she's really done you wrong you need to to be pushing you forward Yeah, yeah, not getting in the mud hole with you, pushing you. Not forward. getting in the yeah, you talked about the anchor, not jumping in the boat as it's tossed on the waves, but like staying tethered. Yeah. So I am th- would be thrilled to have another conversation with you. That is super fun, and one of the fun results of finding my voice is being able to share it and have it heard and share it and hear yours. Yes, and you know we've both been on a journey of finding our voices and it's taken me years of working through some of these same things that you've talked about to be here today and to to interview you and to share this with women around the world and so i wonder if you could leave uh, our audience with some inspiring thoughts to encourage them to do this work for themselves like what would you tell them Hmm. Well, what's coming to mind is, um, I believe it's the first step to many things is just start to notice yourself. Um, like notice what happens in your own body when you feel agitated or when you feel like a like someone is um, like, um, I don't know, someone, when, when you feel like compromised or like a victim or triggered or um, anything <laughs> like that, when something's coming up for you, take a minute to, to, to notice your own self and notice your own body and where is this in your body? Where do you notice this is happening? Is it like a pressure in your chest? Is it your shoulders? Is it a posture? Is it your head spinning? Um, because as soon as you can begin to identify your own responses to things, like it's your clue, it's like a key to unlock the work to help heal what's behind those things but you can't move forward until you notice and you notice your own self-talk i'm going to stop talking i guess i'm not enough i guess and so you just start to take it out of your head and into your body even though the response can be in your head my head spins there's no space between my thoughts and my mouth when i'm triggered but that's still not actually thought exactly (laughs) Um, so that would be, that would be my, my word is like, oh, start noticing, start paying attention to you. Like it matters. 
like you might have an in through that to bring compassion or bring your heart to yourself. Ah, beautiful. And who were some of the teachers or teachers, books, resources that you used on your own journey? If someone wants to explore further. Okay. So, um, I would say on my journey was, um, again, Brene Brown, which was, um, the gifts of imperfection. I mean, perfectionism, we didn't even touch on that. Like, yeah, that's that's a huge, like three more episodes. That's a huge <laughs> defense and wall and all the things. So yeah, but Brene does it really well. The gifts of imperfection. And um, I would just start there. I, the, sh- you can see what the next books are, but that one's a significant one. Um, my, uh, my family constellation teacher, Susie Tucker, She's at suzytucker.com, S-U-Z-I. And she writes a lot and does workshops um, that help, uh, has, that have been uh, fundamental in how I see the world and how I see myself in relation to things. Um, when it comes to kids, my first teacher was Brian Post, who wrote a book, Beyond Consequences, Logic and Control that first showed me what was behind kids' behavior and made the shift in my own family. And then I've grown on that. The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk talks a lot about how trauma is stored in the body. And um, finding my voice, I have a wonderful person named Jeanette LeBlanc who does writing, who writes and writes from passion and writes things I could never write, but which are my voice and are edgy and all, you know, strong and powerful. And I'm like, yes, that's me. And yet it was her voice. So she has, um, JeanetteLeBlanc.com. She has some writing support and some products that speak to, um, coming into your power basically, and your voice. Awesome. So that's who comes to mind off the top. <laughs> That's great, Kathy. Thank you so much. So we've been on this cool journey today, understanding your journey to reclaim your voice and all these cool places it's allowed you to go in your life with your building your business and your relationship with your partner today. And I really thank you for being here today. And I look forward to getting together with you again in the future and picking up some of these topics that we just kind of just barely plunked on the table today. Absolutely. They're each worth years. <laughs> okay, Kathy, thank we'll see you, you next so time. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Vicki. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for being along for today's episode. Show us your love by sharing it with a friend and have an inspired day.